Could the Fed cause double-digit decline in the real estate market? Many investors feel the fundamentals are very strong in this asset class, but our guest today, Richard Duncan, feels that the Fed could be pushing properties into this double-digit loss. Learn why in today's episode after our brief intro. This is the Passive Real Estate Strategies Podcast, where we educate career-driven individuals who have tapped out their earning potential, learn about passive real estate investing so you can continue building your wealth without compromising your time or taking on more responsibilities. I'm your host and managing partner at Realm Investors, a multifamily syndication group who has helped multiply millions of dollars for our passive investors. Thanks for tuning in and let's get on with the show. Hey, investors, welcome back to another episode of Passive Real Estate Strategies. Today, I am sitting down with Richard Duncan. Now, you may recognize Richard from his frequent appearances on CNBC, CNN, BBC, Bloomberg TV, and even on Rich Dad Radio. He's also published articles in the Financial Times, the Far East Economic Review, and is author of four books related to the economy and economic crises. Richard, we're super excited to have you here on the show. Thank you, Justin. It's nice to be here. Hey, so tell us, you know, I like to dive right into it because there's so much rabbit holes we could get down into when it comes to economics, both, you know, nationally here in America, globally. You know, what do you see going on with the American economy right now? We're so dynamic. Things seem to be changing every day. And, and we're recording this right now towards the end of the year in 2022. What the hell is going on? So we've come through this incredibly terrible crisis of COVID with the lockdowns and all of the economic problems that caused. Yeah. And the government responded to that with shock and awe. The <laughs> stimulus package was about $5 trillion. Yeah. And the Fed created about $4 trillion to help finance the government's borrowing of $5 trillion. And mm. so that pulled the economy through this what could have been a new Great Depression. Mm -hmm. We came out the other side looking pretty much the way we did going in. In mm -hmm. fact, the economy now is larger than it was pre-COVID, and the unemployment rate is still very close to a 50-year low, like this yeah. number, 3.7%. But part of this, one of the negative consequences of this aggressive policy response was that it's contributed to much higher rates of inflation than anything mm -hmm. we've seen since the early 1980s. Mm -hmm. The inflation rate is above 8% and it's become quite sticky. Yeah. And now, now that's forcing the Fed to hike interest rates very aggressively. Yeah. And they're likely to continue doing that. And on top of that, not only are they hiking interest rates, but they're reversing quantitative easing. Mm -hmm. Quantitative easing, they created money and pumped it into the financial markets. Now they're doing the opposite, quantitative tightening. Every month, the Fed is destroying $95 billion and sucking it out of the financial markets. Wow. So we have an extremely ag aggressive monetary policy tightening cycle going on. And it's very likely to drive the U.S. economy into quite a big recession. And yeah. it's likely to cause asset prices to keep falling sharply from here, particularly <laughs> property prices. Was this kind of necessary because... You know, like you had said, we were everybody was in COVID, and it it did require a strong response. 
And so it's expected that there's going to be a strong reaction to it. Do you think that we kind of overshot it or do you think it was, hey, it's necessary to get us through the the times that we had and now you know we're paying the price for it, but we have to expect that there's that price to pay. I think the price is well worth paying because mm-hmm. just think about it. If the government had not responded in the way it did, sending out stimulus checks to the Americans uh, and to businesses, the government sent... trillion of stimulus checks directly to Americans and $1.7 trillion to businesses to finance things like the protection program. Had that not occurred when the lockdowns were going on Mm -hmm. and the unemployment rate was nearly 15% briefly, well, the Americans just wouldn't have had any money. So they, many of a good number of them, millions of them, and they would have defaulted on their mortgages Mm -hmm. and their car loans and their credit cards. And Consequently, all the banks would have failed and that would have destroyed everybody's deposits unless, of course, the government intervened. So the government would have had to intervene anyway once the banking system started to collapse. But it was so better to intervene in advance than have to spend probably an equally large amount of money or even more trying to bail out the banking system again. So -hmm. they saved the banks and that saved the economy and that prevented us from having a Great Depression with all of the horrors that would have involved. Yeah. So, okay, you know, maybe they overdid it a bit, but they didn't know that going in and better to overdo it a bit than to underdo it a bit and end up in a replay of the 1930s and perhaps the 1940s. How does America's response and what's happening with America now pair with the rest of the world? I mean, you have a lot of global experience, which I think is fantastic. I mean, I've heard there's, there's some countries witnessing extremely more inflation than we're seeing here. How do you think our position is relative to what other developed countries have done? Well, it's interesting. The U.S. has had more government stimulus than most other countries, but other countries are still experiencing, many other countries, Europe, for instance, and England are are still experiencing high rates of inflation. So, of course, the global economy is very complicated. A lot of different things are going on in different countries. Japan has been suffering from deflation for the last many decades. And they only have in- inflation now just around three percent, and they would like to they would like for it to stay there and instead of dropping back into deflation. Mm-hmm. The Europeans and the English have a big problem with this war in Ukraine. Russia's invasion mm-hmm. of Ukraine has driven up energy prices in Europe dramatically. And so now they're verging on you know, double digit inflation rates across Europe and the UK. So even though they had much less stimulus than the US did, but from a global perspective, One of the most important things that's happening is the partial reversal of globalization. Mm -hmm. Globalization has been a theme that's run all through my career. I moved to Hong Kong in 1986 and started my career there working for a Hong Kong Chinese stockbroking company doing research on the Hong Kong stocks. And soon after that, I started making trips to southern China. And there I saw factories as far as the eye could see full of 19-year-old Chinese women earning less than $5 a day. And it became pretty clear pretty fast that this was going to be extremely disinflationary, pushing down the cost of manufactured goods, also pushing down wages in the United States. And because it was so deflationary, interest rates, inflation rates dropped, and that allowed interest rates to drop. And as interest rates dropped, that was great for the economy because lower interest rates tend to allow businesses to borrow and create more jobs. It allows consumers to borrow more and spend more on on houses, for instance, and also to speculate more in the stock market. 
so from the early 1980s up until the time COVID started, we were in a multi-decade downtrend in inflation and interest rates. And that made credit more affordable. So credit growth boomed. And that also drove up asset prices. So we got a big positive wealth effect. But what we've seen since COVID started is a partial reversal of globalization. First, because of the COVID lockdowns around the world that led to significant supply chain bottlenecks that pushed up prices and things like semiconductors, especially since many Americans were locked in at home and had nothing to do except shop online and order computers and, and telephones. And then just when there was hope that that's, the supply chain bottlenecks were going to be overcome, Russia invades Ukraine. And we get another big global supply shock and driving up food prices and energy prices again. Mm -hmm. So this partial reversal of globalization has happened at the same time that all of the stimulus in the United States gave Americans more money to spend. And this combination of the two is the reason that inflation has shot up so high. And that's why the Fed is now being forced to hike interest rates so aggressively. Yeah, And this is a real threat to our economy because our economy is built on credit growth and on asset price inflation. And right now we're beginning to see credit growth contract, at least credit growth adjusted for inflation. And we're seeing asset prices fall. So mm -hmm. this combination of contracting credit and falling asset prices is really a, a very worrying. Yeah. So what does history tell us will happen over these next few years? Do we have any situations like this that we can kind of look back to? Or is this just such an entirely unique situation that it's hard to judge you know, where we're going over the next couple of years? So a very good example of, in history, comparing the Great Depression with what's happened recently is very useful. In my view, the, the Great Depression really originated in World War I. In World War I, all of the European countries went off the gold standard because they didn't have enough gold to fight the war. And their governments borrowed a lot of money and printed a lot of money and bought a lot of war materials from the United States. And so the U.S. got a lot of additional gold. And that allowed a big credit boom to occur in the United States all through the roaring 20s. And in 1930, though, that credit couldn't be repaid. And the government didn't know what to do. It didn't do very much of anything. It believed in laissez-faire and market forces. So it just stepped back and it let market forces work. And work they did. The bank, A third of all the banks failed and mm -hmm. the Fed didn't step in to save them. And unemployment went up to 25%. The US spiraled into a Great Depression that lasted 10 years until World War II started. And it only ended with the war when the US government spending surged so dramatically, making war materials to fight the war. Mm -hmm. That government spending then ended the Great Depression. Well, so in what we've seen more recently in 2008 and again in 2020 was we had a big credit bubble that had formed in the decades leading up to 2008. And this time the credit bubble started to pop, but the government, rather than letting market forces work, the government reflated the bubble by having trillion dollar budget deficits in both these crises, two recent crises, 2008 and 2020. Hmm. And the Fed financed that by creating money on an unprecedented scale. And that reflated the bubble and kept the bubble, in, instead of allowing the bubble to implode into a new Great Depression, they reflated the bubble. And here we are now, how many years on? 14 years on from the 2008. And we haven't had a Great Depression. So 
the thing is though we now have we still have a credit bubble mm-hmm. and the bubble is in danger of popping because we have inflation for the first time in decades mm-hmm. and we have inflation because the partial reversal of globalization so there's a very real danger that fed is going to keep hiking interest rates until they say as they say something breaks and things are already starting to break mm-hmm. we've seen the stock market is you know had a horrible year the cryptos are suffering horribly mm-hmm. and it's about to be turn of the property market we we'll, we should expect to see double digit declines in property prices in in most major cities mm-hmm. within the next 6 or 12 months wow so double digit decline in property prices that's pretty tough to hear because a lot of people when they think of you know investing in property investing in real estate specifically with residential they look at supply and demand they just go well i feel so safe here because look like there's there's only a thousand units but there's you know the thousand people moving into this area every single day so to them they feel like the fundamentals of supply and demand within residential real estate is so strong specifically residential real estate that they kind of feel shielded from that so is that still going to help out or is that kind of a non-factor because of the the economic cycles that we're in so a lot of things are going to happen the fed has to bring the inflation rate down and inflation is caused by too much demand relative to the available supply. The Fed can't do anything to increase the supply. It can't mm-hmm. drill more oil wells or plant more wheat. So the only way it can bring inflation down is to destroy demand. And it does that by pushing interest rates higher and through destroying money through quantitative tightening. And that is going to require millions of Americans losing their jobs mm-hmm. and asset prices falling further destroying trillions of dollars of additional wealth. Mm-hmm. And that will mean fewer Americans will have jobs and there'll be less wealth and mortgage rates will be very much higher. And they've already already come yeah. close to 7%. So the demand that you're talking about is going to disappear. And that's mm-hmm. why we have seen new home sales are down 40% year on year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as interest rates keep moving higher, then this is going to become significantly worse. So you're saying the demand is going to going to vanish because of all these interest rate hikes, which the Fed has, has said that they purposely are looking at, I think the number was a little over 3 million jobs to be lost. Like that's what their goal was. We want to essentially eliminate 3 million jobs because that's like, to your point, pulls money out of the economy, makes sure so people don't have money to spend. So you, you saying that the demand is going to essentially be wiped out because there just won't be the money anymore. It doesn't matter that people live there and that people need to move different places. They just won't have the money, so they don't have a problem. They're just going to be forced to default on their loans, default on their rents, and that's going to kind of restabilize the properties and and bring values down. Right, and of course, the cost of borrowing money, the 30-year fixed mortgage rate is moving higher and making it prohibitively expensive for people to buy homes. Is this the same for commercial as it is residential? Yes, it is. Who tends to get hit harder? Do you feel will get hit harder during these people who are invested into commercial assets or residential? And residential can be either single family, multifamily versus commercial being like warehousing and retail centers and malls and things like that. So it depends, I think, on every individual piece of property. But in general, anything that has leverage associated with it is more risky and is likely to fall further. Because of higher rates of default that, that we're expecting to see. As a result of much higher interest rates. 
Got it. Got it. And then we also, I mean, have this issue where a lot of, you know, the last couple of years, bridge loans were enormous. I mean, enormous. Everybody was buying properties with these bridge loans. They were paying, you know, three, four percent. And now time for that bridge loans come due. They're looking to refire or sell in an environment where the rates in the upper sixes. And so there's a lot of people who are stuck right there. And, and you know, a lot of people who jumped onto that bridge train very early on are, are now seeing kind of the effects of those very, very short-term loans. So yeah, I definitely agree that there's a lot to keep our eyes on as investors of any asset class. So for that real estate investor out there listening to this, you know, what is the either the greatest warning and also the greatest opportunity you can tell that person's coming up? So I think for investors in general, one very important thing to keep in mind is that liquidity in the financial markets is the thing that tends to push asset prices up when it's growing and push asset prices down when it's contracting. Mm -hmm. And the, one of the best measures of liquidity is simply how much money the Fed is creating. So last year, the Fed, throughout most of last year, the Fed was creating $120 billion every month through quantitative easing. This was so much new money being created that I, in my work in MacroWatch, I made a lot of videos calling this a liquidity tsunami. And when there's that much liquidity, you can be pretty confident that asset prices are going to move up. It's mm -hmm. like the tide. When the tide comes in, then all the boats go higher. But the reverse is also true. When the tide goes out, the boats all sink. And the boats are all the asset classes, not just property, but stocks and crypto and commodities and all the asset classes. And what we're seeing now is the reverse. The Fed is now destroying $95 billion of every month. That's $1.1 trillion a year. And mm -hmm. so what investors need to realize is the tide is going out, liquidity is, is contracting, and that's a very bad environment for investors because asset prices tend to fall then. So Which as long as quantitative tightening continues, then people should continue to expect asset prices to keep falling. Which, which you know, in a few years will create more opportunities as prices continue to fall. For those who still have any money left. Or approach, right, right. I mean, that's fantastic. It's so difficult for the average investor to stay ahead of trends and to stay educated on a lot of these topics. What are some resources that you subscribe to that have helped you kind of stay on top of everything? I love to read. I read lots of history books and economic history books and biographies. And I think to have a real understanding of what's happening, it's important to understand the history. If you understand where we're coming from, then it, it certainly helps understand where we are at the moment. But more than that, it helps to understand where we're going. So on my website, I have a list of one a tab called books I recommend. There are history books, philosophy books, science books, biographies, political economy. So if your listeners would like to see the books that I think are the, the greatest books in the world that I've read over the last 45 years, they can find it there on my website, which is richardduncaneconomics.com. Awesome. So we're going to put a link to that website in the show notes. Now, Richard, how else can people get a hold of you and who should maybe reach out? So my business is called MacroWatch, and MacroWatch is a video newsletter. Every couple of weeks, I upload a new video, essentially me making a PowerPoint presentation, mm. discussing something important happening in the global economy. Last year, the, one of the major themes was this liquidity tsunami. Mm -hmm. This year, one of the major themes has been fear the Fed. And so these videos tend to be about 
15, 20 minutes long with 40 or 50 charts that can be downloaded. Mm -hmm. So if your listeners would like to check that out, again, they can visit my website at richardduncaneconomics.com. And if they would like to subscribe to Macro Watch, I'd like to offer them a 50% discount coupon code for a 50% discount. If they hit the subscribe button, they'll be prompted to put in a discount coupon code. If they put on in the coupon code building, building, B-U-I-L-D-I-N-G, they can subscribe to MacroWatch at a 50% discount. I hope they'll check that out. Yeah, I mean, definitely it's a, be a, an amazing investor and a really take your investments to the next level and your decision-making to the next level. Education is such an enormous part of it. And it's not something that you did, it's something that you do. So huge advocate of it. So listeners, again, we're going to put links to all those resources in the show notes. And while you're there, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. Great, Justin. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Well, that's it for today's show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're looking to learn more about passive real estate investments, make sure you head to our show notes and download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies, where we reveal the ins and outs of the truly passive ways to invest in real estate. We'll see you on the next episode.